You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Welcome, everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio. This is episode number 501. Thank you all for tuning in. On today's program, we're going to be looking at a recent enough interview that was done by the Trigonometry, classified as a podcast, I'm not exactly sure, Trigonometry program with Richard Dawkins. And uh, kind of got my attention because of the title and <laughs> also the introduction that was given. And uh, Richard Dawkins' usual um I suppose, how atheists would typically look down upon religion. Look, I did the same thing as as a professing atheist for many years. I say professing atheist because I knew deep down that God existed. I just the, the, the fact is, the problem that the atheist has with God is not the proof. He's surrounded by proof. The problem is he doesn't like God. Actually, go further. He hates God. But we'll get into this in a second. So um, we're going to be looking at a section from that program where um, the the two hosts from Trigonometry were interviewing Richard Dawkins. And uh, we're looking at the second. Just give you a bit of a heads up what's going on in the next few weeks. I'm not sure if this critique, uh, this response, or whatever you want to call it, uh, will be able to be done in one program. If it can, we'll keep it just to one program. There might be a part two the next time I get a chance to upload an episode. So this is going up on the 29th of August when it will be uploaded. And then the following week, I will not be able to upload anything. And the next time i'll be able to do it on a tuesday if there's a second program on this long and short of it i will put it up friday so if (laughs) you you're gonna know um if it says part one at the end of this anyway you'll see and uh if it can be done in one program then the next program will be suffice to say there'll be nothing next tuesday there might be a bonus program on friday and i might still do that even if this is not a second program, it'll definitely happen. But there'll be nothing on... Let me see. There'll be nothing on the 5th of September. The, skip that week. And the first time that I'll be able to get anything done will be the 12th of September. It may not tip, It may not even happen then. Um, so just uh, not sure if I'll be able to. I'm going to be away for a while. And um, I would appreciate your prayers regarding that. And um, But it looks like it'll just be one week where there'll be no upload at all. Okay, so let's get into the program because we I want to get through a lot of material by God's grace. And um, if you have, if you find clips like this that you would like me to respond to or things like that of, of a kind of a, I suppose you could say of an apologetics nature, because... Look, people have struggles in these areas, and uh, it's important that we can think. The arguments of the, the atheist are not as sophisticated as they make out. Actually, most of the time, they never actually explain what they mean. 
the constantly changing disciplines, often they're going into territory that really they have no right nor expertise in. And what I mean by that is uh, philosophy. Usually they veer into many times or ethics or religion and things like that. And they usually make very, very silly mistakes. All you have to say is, well, we can we can explain everything through modern science. Anyway. When you find anything around you, or not just anything, but when you find an effect, you know that there's been a cause. For an example, if you find a chair, the effect is the chair's been made. You know there's been a cause. There's someone who made that chair. These, I don't want to go with highfalutin, highbrow arguments. We know that whatever there's an, there's an effect, anything we see around us, anything that was made, there was a cause that brought it into being. Modern science, aided by very skeptic philosophy, especially when it comes to miracles and things like this, does not want to acknowledge. It's, it's so it's amazing how certain they are about that God doesn't exist. But when it comes to alien life or anything else like that, well, that's still a probability. Hmm, it's interesting how that kind of works. Anyway. I digress. So uh, we're we're starting this. This is the recent. I don't know. I think this is about a month or two ago. Whenever it was, Dawkins, God, Truth, and Death, uh, trigonometry episode. Starting twenty five minutes and fifty five seconds into the the podcast of this, and we'll start playing here. I think you're right that um, not just scientists, but but um, a lot of people are zipping their mouths. Um, because of um, a political pressure of the sort that you're saying. Um, when, when, just to give you a bit of a background, the host is bringing up the whole trans issue. They were talking about various different things that you'd expect him to talk about with Richard Dawkins, but then he brings up the whole trans issue and a number of different things um, and the difficulties of scientists in a in an era <laughs> where... Um, Facts are no longer facts. And it, it is important, I think, for scientists to, to be honest and to uh, use language precisely. And in the particular case of sex that, that you mentioned, it's one of the few cases where there really is a, 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 a bifurcation, a binary bifurcation. There really are two sexes. And, <laughs> and you have to ask yourself, according to the way that Dawkins does a lot of his scientific method and evolution and everything's on the spectrum and everything's, you know, this, and he's going to explain this in a second. I wanted you to think, does it make sense? Or why are this, why is there uh why is there, you're either male or female. And I agree with him, by the way, of course, you're either male or female, but, but considering what else he says after this, does it make a lot of sense? Is he consistent with his own method? S scientists have to, have to work un under that, that fact. And if uh, people, for political reasons, are trying to deny that there really, are, there really is a binary separation between the, between the two sexes, then that is anti-scientific, anti-rational, 
and is uh, a subversion of language, actually. Richard, uh, I, I actually didn't want to make this conversation in any way about the cultural discussions around that issue. But since, since we've come to it, do you sit there and sometimes have to pinch yourself that you, one of the most eminent evolutionary biologists in our society, go on the, on, on the mainstream media and you are asked to talk about the fact that there's men and women? Do, do, you, not, yes. do, you, not feel, do you not experience that as like a gigantic regression? I do, I, I, I do, because um, I, I've, um, one of the, the main points I, I, I like to make is that very often, um, I, I call it the tyranny of the discontinuous mind, we're, we're far too fond of making discriminations. Um, things like, um, well, we were talking a bit, a bit earlier about um, embryos, when does, when does an embryo become human? Is there a, a particular moment when an embryo becomes human? No. So I want you to listen to this and compare his argument with, yo, there's two genders, you either, you either are a male or you're not a male, or you're a female or you're not a female. But does he think that way with human beings? There isn't. It's a continuum. It's a sliding scale. There are sliding scales everywhere. We in universities when we examine students, we give them a degree, first, second, two, one, two, two, third, and we, we, we insist upon making a divide between one class and another, when we know perfectly well that the top of one class is... Cl- so he's gone from human beings, and when does somebody become a human, to uh, achievements and attainments of that. It's actually a fundamental character. Um, category error because you're really mixing up what is the substance of the person. By the way, a person before they have that degree, use that analogy. So they've they're they're in secondary school or high school, whatever you call it in America, or it's high called high school up here in Northern Ireland as well. The person is still a human being. The substance of the person before the degree and after the degree. Now after the degree, they have, they are maybe a, a doctor or whatever the qualification that they have, but they're still a human being. <laughs> so this kind of hopping around categories is, is, is quite bizarre. You know, when does an embryo become an embryo or when does an embryo become a human being and all this kind of thing? You're saying to the stage of the development, what? Does somebody become a human being? Does someone in their substance of their being change? Now, a person may change in terms of their states of being, as in, I'm standing, I'm sitting, I'm taller, I'm growing, I'm getting shorter. Technical term for that is accidents. Um, that, yeah, that, that changes in people. But to say that we, what, to, to, to confuse those two categories is, uh, well, it's concerning, to be honest, to say the least. Closer to the bottom of the one above than it is to the bottom of its own class. And yet the information about the sliding scale, this actually in this bell-shaped distribution in this case, um, is thrown away when we divide. We insist upon making di- divides. So, um, the t- Can you not develop? Perhaps 
as a human being and go from one to the other. There's no real explanation for what he's saying. Of course, you can't, if you're a male, you can't become a female. And if you're a female, you can't become a male. Because that is the very substance of, you know, what you're, you're, you are, uh, he, you know, if you say in a sentence, he is a man. That is who he is. She is a woman. That is who she is. That cannot change. Now, what can change are states of being and things like that. But not, 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 you can't automatically become something different. When you say then, well, it's all to do with stages of development and all that kind of, what, are some people more human than others? So there's a sliding scale. So our val, and again, look, I'm not going through these books or anything like that. I don't have quotations right in front of me. Maybe he's explained these things far better. I, I doubt it considering the way he's kind of gone through things as of now. But if you're talking about human beings and even tie that to, to value, well, their their degree of how much, how sentient they are, quote unquote, or how much they feel pain or anything like that determines, wouldn't be too much of a leap of logic to go this direction, determines what they're worth. Look, and it's it's no major shock then that people who who are don't really see people as pe- people in the womb, very early stages of development, don't have a huge value placed upon older people near the end of their life and will also back things like euthanasia like he did at the end of the program. Tyranny of the discontinuous mind is one of my catchphrases. And if I look around and say, is there any case where there really is a proper divide, a real, where there really is no spectrum. And sex is, a, is the one thing I can think of. There really isn't a spectrum. You really are either male or female. And so... But there's no taught-out rationale for why one thing is and the other thing isn't. Because, you see, for him... The whole thing of, oh, well, our ancestors are monkeys or whatever the thing is, and eventually we become gradually this. So you cannot have, <laughs> so over over time, you can gradually develop into, you know, through millions of years of evolution and all that, from one species into another. So then why can you not? Why is there anything set then? in terms of gender and all that kind of... Why? There's there's no clear... You see, the world that they've created with radical skepticism where they've eaten away with the foundations of truth, they want to hold on to certain parts of the truth, of course, and they want to hold on to certain things that make their worldview or the way they see things fit together. And if you take those things away, well, <laughs> we're in trouble. Um, oh, yeah, you can you can attack something else that I don't agree with. But and the thing is, why does he say that there's uh, that is male and female? Because he says so, and that's not particularly persuasive in a generation that has rejected the light of nature, has rejected the things as revealed as... That has rejected that there's a a difference between a man and other 
no, there's a man and animals. Because man has been created in the image of God. These things have been rejected. Um, I do have to pinch myself when, um, for once, uh, it, it goes the other way. I mean, there, re there really is no spectrum there. And um, yes, I, I, I do have to pinch and myself. And where do you think this regression, if you agree with me? There should be a push. Why? Explain. What is the difference? Because there's been no explanation to that at all. You see, the, when you take God and as, as the one who is truth out of the picture, all these structures, all these things, all these things that we talk about, they cease to have meaning or, or set standards of what truth is, for example what meaning is or what is the purpose of life and all these things because they all depend on God. My use of it, where does that come from? Well, in certain social sciences, um, they've been very influenced by what they call postmodernism. I don't really know what postmodernism is. In fact, I think the so-called postmodernists don't know either. But I think it's something to do with... Um, the words meaning something that is determined by politics. And, and <laughs> no, because you're saying that there's absolute words and absolutely no absolutes. No, modernism played around with these things and then postmodernism took it a little further, of course. But it's a fundamental attack on the truth. But you can't... How can you then... S stating, well, I'm for the truth, but what is truth then? According to what? According to what standard? You, 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 don't, you don't actually have a... a a fixed meaning of words like male and female because there's an intellectual movement in, in the yeah, social... Yeah, but there's no fi you don't have any fixed meaning what a, what a human being is. You don't have any fixed meaning on the diff you know, because you see everything as a continued spectrum and all that. Why, why does male and female have to be? There's absolutely no reason for it. ...that says that everything is a social con construct yeah. and male and female is a social construct. There's no real... Well, validity to the con to difference in male and female. Well, you know, according to the according to his worldview, couldn't not, not have evolved and become so. I mean, is it that much far away from saying, according to his way of viewing things, that religion is a social construct to what was it to help people as a kind of a drug, according to his own phraseology? Or a social construct, um, or cultural relativism, the idea that um, um, different cultures have completely different ways of classifying the, the world, and so, and so it's just our white Western way of looking at things that, um, that says that, that there are, there's a divide between males and females or something like, like that. And Richard, with this social uh, constructivism thing, my sense is that is uh, the erosion of the concept of truth itself. Is, is that too strongly put? Or would you I think it's... Uh, yeah, but so far, so far... Look, I, I genuinely enjoy a lot of the conversations that they do have in trigonometry, although sometimes 
I have to warn you, if you're a Christian, you're going to find some of the things perhaps crude, as there is in a lot of programs, unfortunately. Um, but there are some good things on there. Carl Truman was actually on the trigonometry program a couple of months ago, I think. And that was an interesting conversation that they had. And, uh, you know, they, they do stand out because they're one of the few podcasts that are willing to have an open and frank conversation. So I appreciate that they're compared to much else that's out there these days it's 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 um much better but there is something to push back on here the erosion of the concept of truth the erosion of the concept of male and female the erosion of the concept of what it means to be a human being has been already eroded and has been eroded even in the midst of this podcast by richard dawkins himself so if you erase what it means to be a human And you just want to play scientist with, you know, embryos and decide which, well, you don't even decide. You just say, well, it's just a sliding scale. Well, don't be surprised if that philosophy gets applied somewhere else outside of just um, the field that it has been up until this point. Absolutely right to say that it is erosion of the concept of truth. I mean, it, it is valid to say that language evolves and, mm -hmm. and what words mean today is not the same as what they meant 200 years ago necessarily or 1,000 years ago. Um, and so we have to accept the fact that words change their, their, their meaning. But we also have to live in a world where um, we have to be able to communicate. Yeah, but you also, what you will do is... It's true, words in societies do change meaning, but there are words, when you use them in certain situations, you're to give a precise definition of what they are, especially in certain technical fields and stuff like that. And so yes. we have to be able to say that there are certain words that, that, that at, at present means, means such and such. At, at present, black means black and white means white and blue means blue. And, it, and it, if, if that changes in 100 years... That you know, what's the definition of a female? <laughs> this is something that struggle, you know, a lot of politicians now struggle with. An adult human female. Yeah, but part of this has already been attacked by Dawkins. The human part. At some stage, apparently, you become a human. When? There's a sliding scale towards becoming human. That's okay, but for the moment, we, we've got to use words that everybody understands. And words like male and female are pretty clear in everybody's mind what that means. No, it's not. A lot of people, it's not. Now, yes, if you pay attention to the light of nature and you actually see that, look at nature. There are male and female, and male and female, a male and a female is required for procreation and uh, the next generation, so on and so forth. We see from nature that for one man and one woman, we see from nature that human beings are different from animals in one way that they worship. Never see, you'll never find an animal that's going to worship anywhere. So there's different things that show you from it. If you pay attention to these things, yeah. But if you're just, oh, it's pretty clear. But you see, we're 
determining reality based upon parameters and measurements determined by certain scientists under certain philosophical understandings. So, for example, if it can't be measured, if it can't be observed, then it can't possibly be, unless it's space aliens, and that's a possibility according to Richard Dawkins, and there's a high probability of that. But he will reject any notion of miracles because he hasn't seen one, or words to that effect. So, um, science does require a philosophy and a morality that is determined. Now, one of the things is we know that the world's been created, made. It's got it's got laws, fixed laws, and and structures. It's not just random chaos. If it was random chaos, you wouldn't be able to study any of it or learn anything from it. But when we study it, the heavens declare the glory of God, and we we learn when we look at the handiwork of the creation. We actually learn about the God who made it all. Much in the same way, if you went to a house, you bought a new house. And and you look at the house and go, oh, this is well made. Look at the, the brickwork. Look at the insulation inside the walls. Look at, and and you might be able to tell, well, you probably would tell a number of different people worked on that or whatever the case may be. But you can, if they did a good job, you can tell they're good at that. That's the skill that they have. To understand what caused something, you study its effect. You look at the product of what is produced. So if you want to learn about a painter, you may go and study their paintings. And you can learn about God from creation, certain things. He's a good God. He's, he's a God of order. He's just. He's righteous. He's holy. There's enough in creation and in our hearts to condemn us. Now, taking the analogy of the artist, the reason why... Now, you're going to see certain things from that painting. But you're not going to be able to tell everything from the painting. You're not going to be able to tell certain thoughts that the painter had while he was painting or the sculptor had while he was sculpting. What made him get up that morning? I'm not talking about God now, but I'm talking about the sculptor. This is an analogy. In order to make that piece of art, what was his purpose? Why did he do it? Well, maybe that artist or sculptor or painter or whoever it is writes it down, maybe he writes a, an autobiography of his life, and then you go, oh, I now have access to the thoughts of the person doing this. Well, has God revealed to us why he made the world? Has God revealed to us why we have been made? Has God revealed to us He's even made it even clearer to us that we've been made in the image of God. Has God revealed to us a way that the righteousness that is demanded by the law has been satisfied in another place 
instead of us, instead of those who believe in Jesus. Yeah, he has. Now, if you, look, the way the atheist argues is, is just a bit like anything else. They have their moral way of looking at the world. There is a moral way he looks at the world and other people. But when you remove away certain ways of defining truth and explaining reality and other things, there comes a point where even the atheist or maybe somebody in the LGBT movement or whatever else, and they go, eventually they go, whoa, 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 oh, I can't go any further beyond this point. Well, why is that? Because they believe that that's right. What they're really doing, it's not an intellectual thing. It's a reject, they, they don't think that God is right in that area. And so they, they will withhold or hold the truth and unrighteousness. They will suppress it. They will fight against it. They will become foolish. Their, heart, their, their hearts will become hardened. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none to do with good. And it's all to do with man saying in his heart, We will not have this man to reign over us. And they will, man when he's in, when he's in darkness, a man love darkness rather than light, they will blindly reject that there has been someone, that pure being, that one who never changes, without beginning, without end, who sustains all things that we see around us, they will suppress that reality. Because the fall in Adam has affected not just our affections, or emotions, or all the other things you can say, also has affected our intellect and it has affected our mind. And um, to come along and say, oh, that's just a social construct, um, is subversion of language, subversion of truth. I think you're right. Do you think that this is a... Which is also, I would submit, something that Dawkins himself is guilty of. Religious belief, Richard... I think it has a lot in common with, religi with religious belief. Um, it's different in that it doesn't invoke anything supernatural, but it's very similar in the ways that heretics are hunted down. We've seen this in Oxford recently where Kathleen Stock has been, has been um, vigorously, not almost violently, sometimes they, they are violently hunted down. Then there's actually rather detailed parallels with... with religious um, dogma, um, the, the doctrine of um, original sin. Um, Christians, especially Catholics, believe that um, we're all born in sin. We're all, we're all in... We're all in uh, not... <laughs> no, this isn't... Okay. It gets a bit confusing after a while. The Church Catholic, I suppose, yes, it goes back... Small c, not the Roman Catholic Church, but that goes right back to... right back to the beginning... But, right back to Christ, but 
this this is a an orthodox view that every single Christian, every single branch of the church, holds to. In Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. I think it's verse twenty-five off the top of my head. So the reason why there's suffering in the world is Adam sinned. Now, Adam was different to other people. He represented all of mankind in the Garden of Eden. And because he fell, everyone fell. Because he died, everyone died. Genesis chapter 3 lays this out. In the case of, there's no situation where our ancestors are the are our federal heads in the same way that Adam was or is. One place you could read this is in Romans chapter 5. Adam dies, but then there's the second Adam, who's a type of him who is to come as Jesus. He is the second Adam, and he represents all those who have been, who are represented. So Adam represents all those dead in trespasses and sins, trusting in the works, and they've broken the law of God. Everyone in Christ has the, has the righteousness of Christ imputed to their account. Because of the righteousness of Christ, the second Adam, they have eternal life. Inherit the sin of Adam. Um, although they no longer think Adam ever existed, but somehow they sort of managed to talk, go on about talking about the sin of Adam. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of them don't believe it. They're not Christians, okay? It's like, yeah, you know, um, people who do not believe the Bible, and a lot of it is theological liberalism, stating that it doesn't matter what you believe in your mind. All that matters is that you have the right feelings toward dependency on Christ. That's theological liberalism. That is not something that is historical, biblical, or anything else like that. Just because someone claims to be something doesn't mean that they are. And I'm sure Richard Dawkins would agree with this. If somebody says they're a scientist and doesn't follow the scientific method, are they really a scientist? So... And so we all, the moment we're born, we're born in sin. We have to be baptized, to be cleansed of sin, that, that kind of thing. And I think we see that. That's, depends what you mean by, we have to be cleansed, we have to be cleansed spiritually. Um, baptism signifies and seals. Now, if he means a Roman Catholic view of it, and we have to be baptized because of that, that's a Roman Catholic view of that. Maybe it spills over a little bit, no pun intended, um, over to other quote-unquote traditions, but... In the collective guilt that all white people are supposed to inherit because of slavery, even if they, obviously they have no direct connection with slavery, maybe even if they never had an ancestor, most of them probably did, but... um, And we are all... collectively guilty for what people of of our type did in some past age. And that is original sin. It's it's exactly like original sin. Francis, may I jump in just very quickly, Richard? You said there's nothing supernatural. 
exactly like original sin that's exactly like that's exactly not at all like original sin yeah that may be a distortion it's a dist- if you want to call it like original sin it's a distortion when was anybody appointed when were the slave stick the slaveholders and the white people when were the slaveholders set up as the federal heads the legal heads the the representatives legally of them When did that happen? Is it when did it happen, Adam? It happened when Adam was given. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3. He was placed in the Garden of Eden. And not only did he die, his entire. I don't think we're allowed time to go through it. In, in Genesis chapter 3, and Genesis chapter 2 as well, Genesis chapter 2, he's warned that if he partakes of the, 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 the fruit of the tree of knowledge, good and evil, he will surely die. And by virtue of him dying, everyone dies. When... Did anyone have the same position of our ancestors? I'm not yet, like, I'm not exactly sure here what kind of point he's making. What's the similarities to it? But similar similarities of borrowing from another discipline, if you want to put it like that, does not mean that it was in its original intent and anything else like that. But the, let's just point out the difference. The difference is Adam represented all of mankind. Slaveholders, um, when, or anybody else that matter, when they died, and if they died without Christ, it will sin of Adam, but also their own sin as well. Not for anybody else and there's actually plenty of other passages to to bear that out let's continue you don't think that the claim that you can change your sex by means of incantation is a claim that is supernatural I mean, yes i mean you could you can make that case um it's not quite supernatural in the same sense as as believing in gods or believing in in fairies um but yes it's yeah it's just amazing how all believing gods believing fairies do you see the kind of um i'm sorry it's just patently dishonest to do this the which set like are you saying that you cannot have anything supernatural or there's nothing in reality that is not measurable observable and anything beyond the scientific method that can't be, de- it doesn't exist. Anything not reproducible doesn't exist. Well, how much? Give, give me for an example. Look at the creation around you. It's in a state of change, isn't it? 
We'll even see that with something that's been going on for thousands of years. You know, you know, people. Oh, oh climate change. Yeah, the climate's been changing for for thousands of years. Okay, historically verifiable. It's been changing. It it will change. Climates just do change, and often what they're talking about is not the climate. It's actually they're talking about well <laughs> the weather. This world hasn't always been here. We know this. Anything that is subject to change is something that has been caused to be. All that we see around us is subject to change. What is that cause of all that we see around us, the sustainer of all the see around us? In him we move and have our being. Even the pagan poets saw this in Acts chapter 17 when Paul quotes them. Now, if you want to talk about gods and all this kind of stuff with plural, and say, oh, what do, do you mean Zeus? Do you mean... No, Richard, we do not mean Zeus. We do not mean fairies. We, we mean... The infinite, the one true, infinite and holy God. The, the, the God who is hero God, the Lord your God, is one. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. The one who is a God without parts or passions. One who is immutable, unchangeable. Zeus is not a God without parts. Zeus is made up of parts both physical and metaphysical. So, anytime you hear this, you're not talking about the God of Scripture. There's only one who is infinite. There is only one who is all-knowing. There is only one true and living God who is infinite, without beginning, without end. That is the God who maintains all things. Because even if you say, oh, well, are there gods and all that? Well, who made those go- Who made those small g gods? You know, who, who made, if you do want to say, using from our argument, just says Zeus and all this kind of, no, it's, that's Greek mythology, whatever. It's not true, of course, but they would be dependent on their parts. So, Zeus, and take, take Zeus, if you want to take Zeus. He's made up of parts. Like, we're made up of parts. You know, um, there's parts in your body, your heart, your liver. A human being is made up of a heart. That's one part of a human being. If that part fails, well, we're kind of in trouble. <laughs> and so, and we're also dependent not just upon our parts individually, but also that which keeps it together. That which you could say assembled us. We're so dependent upon God, as in James Dolezal will go through this quite a bit. And uh, a lot of, if you want to check out a lot of his interviews about why it's important that we believe 
in the true God who is without parts or who is simple. But any God that has been put before you, small g God, is it, that's an idol. An idol. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Ears have they, but they do not hear. Eyes have they, but they do not see. Psalm 115 talks about how these idols are useless. They promise great many things, but they can't do anything. But our God is not like them, Psalm 115 points out. He does whatsoever he pleases. That's the difference. And just say, oh, supernatural. No, we're talking about the creator of heaven and earth. Not an idol. Fashioned in the image of a mere creature. That's not what we're talking about at all. Sort of like that. Um, Let's take another religious example, the Catholic belief in transubstantiation, where the consecrated wine and bread becomes the blood and body of Christ. And the the way they put this is, is to use the Aristotelian idea of substance, essence, something, and accidental. So, so um, um, the, Aristotle made the distinction between the, the, the real substance and, and, the, and the accidentals. And so they, they say, that, well, the accidentals of wine, it's still wine in this sort of accidental sense, but in real substance it becomes the blood of Christ. And that's the verbal trick that they use to, to justify this ridiculous idea that the blood becomes, sorry, the wine becomes the blood of Christ. Um, yes, it is a ridiculous idea. We agree with that. Okay. The mistake that is made in Roman Catholicism with regards to the use of Aristotelian um, language here formerly, I'll just quote here very, very briefly, just for anybody to try and wrap their minds around. This is from... Good book I'm reading at the moment, R.C. Sproul, The Consequence of Ideas. The, cons- the Consequences of Ideas. And he's got a chapter here on Aristotle, the philosopher. And in page 46 of this book, Consequence of I- The Consequences of Ideas, Sproul writes this, Though Aristotle's language is used in formulating it, the doctrine of transubstantiation represents a sharp departure from his philosophy. Aristotle allowed for the distinction between an entity's substance and accidents, but not for their separation, as it is called for in transubstantiation. He means that a thing, accidents, are generated by or flow out of its substance. An oak tree has acorns because acorns are part of the accidents of a of an oak tree substance. The presence of acorns signals the presence of an oak tree, not the presence of an elephant, because the substance of an elephant does not produce accidents of acorn. Thus, the thing's substance generates its accidents. Of course, the Roman Catholic Church understood Aristotle's philosophy at, at this point and found that a miracle was necessary to transcend the natural connection between substance and accidents. So, there's a distinction between substance and accidents, but they're not separated. And Sproul, in the same book, gives a very good illustration. 
there's a there's a distinction between your body and your soul. But your body and your soul, when they're separated, you're dead. Okay, so um, a distinction is not necessarily a separation. And this is where, you know, philosophy can be used awry in a wrong way and all these kind of things. Okay, so let's continue. So yes, that's very, very similar to, you're quite right, that's very, very similar to saying that it's an incantation that, that you say, I stand up and say, I am a woman, therefore I am a woman, therefore everything about me is, is a woman. You're not allowed to misgender me, you're not allowed to... And it, it, it's really just the same lie from the beginning. You shall be like gods, knowing good and evil. You can, you can decide what is good and evil. You can decide what is right and wrong. You can... I say this is this is what is being claimed almost. Uh, God said out of the burning bush, I am that I am. You know, who is he? He's the great I am. He he is the I am. Whereas now we're saying we're just declaring, well, I am this. Only God can do that about himself, based upon it in in conf- completely consistent with his nature. And people state, and look, it's not that different from what Richard Dawkins does. Richard Dawkins says, well, just because he declares that God doesn't exist, well, then therefore. And this is what sin is. Sin is taking the place of the one who is the I am and is God, or attempting to take the place, because they can never properly do that, but... Sin is spiritual treason. Sin is seeking to supplant the authority and rule and reign of Christ. It is seeking to state our own rules and to live as we please and to decide to do what we want. Say anything against the idea that I'm a woman. That's very, very similar to to the accidental and real substance argument of Catholics. The accidentals may, may, may say I'm a man, I still have a penis, but in my real substance, I'm a woman. And that's very, very similar, yes, quite R- right. Richard, now you, you're obviously a very famous atheist and you've written fantastic works talking about your atheism. Do you not... Now, I'm, I'm, now my, my critique earlier was really critiquing Roman Catholicism is there some validity to what Richard Dawkins is saying based upon the Roman Catholic misapprehension of that? Maybe. I'll have to think about it a bit more. But my critique earlier was really to do with Roman Catholicism. I think that there is a fundamental part of us as human beings that needs religion. Yes, very possibly there is. Um... I would even say, no, 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 no. There's a fundamental part of us as fallen creatures to deny God because we wish to live as we want to. There's none that seeketh after God. There's a fundamental part of us that would rather that God didn't exist so we can just do whatever we like. Is that not also true? It doesn't mean it applies to everybody. It, it, it may mean that there's just a... Um, a it, it, it's quite difficult to eradicate when you have something as fundamental as that. And, and yes, um, 
And what? And the the oh, it's like oh, it's for weaker people who you know need comfort and all that when they're about to die. What's comforting about the fact that when they die, they're going to stand before God? If you're talking about the true God of heaven and earth, not the God of your own imagination, but the God of heaven and earth, and they will have to stand before Him, knowing that they have broken God's law, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What would men rather think about the the perfectly, the most wise, most just, most loving God who they will have to stand before, or would they rather and pretend perhaps He doesn't exist? What do you think? Considering the the nature of people, considering all the death and destruction we see around us, does man want to submit himself and say, I will follow and love and cherish this good, righteous, and holy God and glorify him for all eternity? They don't want to do that. Fallen man does not want to do that, and fallen man will never want to do that until and unless he's been born again of the Spirit of Almighty God. When he's been born again of the Spirit of Almighty God, he sees that sin is horrendous, Christ is wonderful, and that he trusts in him, in Christ Jesus alone, by faith and by faith alone, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, psychologically, men being the way they are, if you want to make that argument, then men wish to not submit men want to do people want to do whatever they want don't they do people like being told what to do no now if they want to just talk about religion in a general sense and create a god of their own imagination a god who will answer every whim and who will really obey them that's an idol that's not god if you want to talk about religion in that sense well how how is that any different to, to the atheism being presented on this program not very different I suppose a psychologist could delve into that and, and say something like, "You, we all need um, to believe in something higher than ourselves. We have a desperate need to believe that we're not going to disfizzle. No, we des- many of us desperately don't want to. Don't want to believe that. When we die... Um, so yes, uh, you could you could say that there, there's a, a deep psychological need for religion. It doesn't mean everybody has it. It doesn't mean that that you can't get out of it. Every single person, even the atheist, when he says I don't need it, he seems to be very very angry, doesn't he? But a god he doesn't believe exists. But you know, this is the, this is the. It's not that there's not enough evidence. It's that the atheist fundamentally does not want that God to reign over him. That's his problem. He doesn't want to submit to God. Uh, but but there's probably something like that to explain it. And because being critical of organized religion as you were, was there ever, did you ever think that you might that you went too far with your criticisms? In, okay, I'm going to skip ahead here just a little bit. Um, I think, in reality, I'm not going to do a second program on this. I don't think it really warrants that or is necessary to that. Sometimes I don't really know until I'm in the midst of doing the program. 
Um, I'm going to go over on 40 minute mark. Just going to go over the last between 40 minutes to 42 minutes and uh, wrap up with that. Break away from that and say, actually, no, there is a proper explanation. There is a, a, a materialistic explanation for that. Um, and so, so the flip side of, of, the, of the temptation is that when you've overcome the temptation and worked out that it is possible to explain it in simple scientific I really mean simple because it, the idea, the idea, Darwin's idea is a deeply simple idea. And yet, given enough time, the Darwinian idea of natural selection, given enough time, can build up to prodigies of complexity and beauty and the illusion of design. And that's a. The illusion of design. Ah, yeah, yeah. So. So you're. Really what it was being talked about here is autonomous miracles. If you leave things for long enough, maybe in the midst of the chaos, something will look like design. It's not really design. You know, the, the, the chair isn't really a chair. You know, it's not really designed. It just happened to be like that. You know, even if you could just say, what are the probability of a tornado blowing through a junkyard and producing... And just say it's about 10,000 tornadoes. It's got loads of time. Give it lots of time. And it can form and beautifully assemble a Ferrari. Gear sticks in place. The tires are pumped. Everything. What are the chances of that? Eh, one in several billion, probably. Now... Even with that, even with the tornado, there's a certain direction and there's still causation to it. Even if you could say, okay, there's a one in, I don't know, pick a number, 10 billion chance that 10,000 tornadoes could come through and form a Ferrari. Just say that could happen. Showing beauty and everything else. What if that could happen? There's still causation. The, the tornado was what caused the Ferrari to be. It's not without cause. So anything that is reproducible, demonstrable, with an effect, with something that has been made, everything has, every effect has a cause. Now, God is without a cause. God is pure being. Eternal. Infinite. And really, I say, oh, this is a simple explanation for it. Well, what is it? It's a, it's a causeless effect. Causeless effects. See, because there used to be a thing called a final, final cause. 
years ago. Basically, the design for which... So, so for example, you're making a chair. Use a chair analogy again. I'm going to overuse this. The final cause is that design for what it's, you know, designed for somebody to sit on. That's the reason. That's the end for why it has been made. Why has man been made? Man's chief end is question one of the shorter catechism to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's why man exists. Uh, That's a measure of the genius of Darwin to see that. And Richard, in your book, The Blind... But he never actually explains it. This is the frustrating of it. Watchmaker, you make that point, I think, beautifully. Uh, And I do actually think that, just slightly, no disrespect to France, is probably one of the weaker arguments against your position. What I think is a strong argument is the one he made earlier. And this is about the psychological need people have for religion, but also at the level of society. And this is really something I want to get into. It's amazing when people don't have a psychological need for for religion, they're talking about religion quite a lot. It's actually quite funny. I think somebody like Richard Dawkins probably talks about religion far more than other people. Um, the most people. The, the the fact of the matter is, we've been creating the image of God. And we're different. Human beings are different. And we've been made so. With you. Uh, uh, Noah Yuval Harari, for example, in his book, Sapiens, his central argument is that the reason homo sapiens were able to okay so look i i think if i go on there's probably other things but it'd probably be repeating old ground um there's certain things he says at the beginning of the program which i didn't kind of go over which was um he admits certain moral issues are more philosophy the one of the problems is these you do need a in science there is a certain Philosophy. How can you arrive at truth? And there's nothing wrong. Good science is good, right? But you know that by measuring things and by the scientific method, you cannot determine all things. There's a certain degree of deduction and there's a certain degree of looking at things. I mean, um, what we what we typically would look at today in in, say, like, in modern physics, in various different spheres of science today, we, we, we have a very narrow way of looking at causes. When I, when I talk about causes, so we've looked at, we mentioned, I've mentioned final cause there a second ago. And the, the analogy, I think this goes right back to Aristotle, the analogy that's often been used is, the final cause is that for which a thing is made, its purpose. Why has it been made? The purpose of it. So if you make a television, you, the purpose is to watch TV off it or whatever. Um, one of the earliest illustrations that has been used is the sculptor. And what is the final cause of the sculpture? The decoration of a house or a garden. Um, I'm getting this from um, Sproul's book on the consequences of ideas there's there's four causes that are still are, are, are 
Aristotle had, and it would be good if we thought about these things again. What is the final cause of the world? What is the reason it exists? And think about this for anything. The efficient cause by the thing way which it's made. That's a sculpture. The efficient cause of the world is God. The material cause, the thing out of which it is made. Now, God made all that material we see around us. So, there's a material cause, and why why is there something rather than nothing? Where did that come to be? Now, when we make something, when we make a delicious meal, when we make whatever, we don't have to make the material. It is there. We carve it. We do whatever. The material cause, for example, in the sculpture is the block of marble. And then the other form of... We really should go back to thinking about this again. The formal cause, that which determines what a thing is. It's the idea or the plan for a sculpture, the formal cause the plan so this plan put it you know that is the cause from you know a formal cause so because when we just think about material efficient or very mechanical causes what that's fine for creatures but what what happens when you have a being who is infinite and cannot be measured. And actually, your methodology has fundamentally refused the possibility that this infinite God could be exist. And denies what the evidence will tell you all around you. The heavens declare the glory of God. So hopefully this has been a help to you um i'm not sure if there'll be there may be an if there's going to be another show in the next two weeks it'll go friday otherwise back in two weeks i know that's not probably great information anything you you want to email me megiddo radio that's m-e-g-i-d-d-o radio at gmail.com if you would like to send me anything to critique or to whatever or even any questions, perhaps I didn't explain something well during the program, that is quite possible. M-E-G-I-D-D-O, radio at gmail.com. This has been Paul Flynn. May God bless you all.